Welcome to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, folks, broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, formerly the cultural and culinary crossroads of America, now the coronavirus capital of America. Ouch. Hey, uh, thanks to the uh, stations around the country that rebroadcast this program. You can always hear the show as well on the, as a podcast on the Fallon Forum website, and we do air one of the segments of this program on the Fallon Forum Facebook page. So, hey, a quick shout-out to our business partners here in the Des Moines metro, a couple of them at least. Let's thank uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store. And you can get uh, lunch and supper seven days a week through their takeout service. You can also get breakfast on the weekends. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. They also offer a breakfast wrap every Saturday morning right down there in front of the restaurant in the East Village. That's Hawk Restaurant. Okay, again, welcome to the program, folks. And again, thanks for being with us today. Uh, later in the show, uh, Lynn County Auditor Joel Miller joining us to talk about how a Trump and Republican Party lawsuit has struck a blow to Iowa's vote-by-mail plan. We're also going to be talking with Charles Goldman about the intense battle to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, sorting out the various scenarios about what that looks like. And we'll talk also with Charles about um, the U.S. Constitution, which we tend to praise, but Charles might be willing to argue that it is toothless by design. And finally, Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farm will join us as we talk about the fall gardening questions and answers that, well, a whole bunch of questions we've been getting, and we have some answers. We don't have all the answers. We have some. Anyway, so um, we're going to kick it off here talking, as we always do, with the uh, climate report. Um, and it's, not, it's never a comprehensive report. There's so much to talk about. But I want to focus on some of the good stuff happening. But first, I've got to talk about one prof profoundly stupid thing that's going on. Okay, so last month, um, a DJ at a local radio station in Brunei in Southeast Asia, he, um, he, got a, <laughs> he went to an airport and he got on a plane for the first time in six months. And boy, did that feel good. He said, he described it as exhilarating. And... Um, yeah, I know. He also points out, of course, that there were masks and glass dividers and the social distancing norms we've all come to accept, not just in the U.S., but around the world. Um, probably less so in the U.S. than around the world. But he said, he said that nothing could beat the anticipation of getting on a plane again. He was so excited. And he went nowhere. <laughs> so apparently thousands of people in Taiwan, Japan, Australia... Yeah, they're, they're hopping on planes and flying around for a couple hours and coming back to the same place. And they're calling those scenic flights. Other people are calling them flights to nowhere. I want to call them a colossal contradiction and a, 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 either a huge disconnect or a flagrant hypocrisy. I mean, I mean part of the, the... I mean, the pandemic is is not entirely connected to climate change, obviously, but, but you know, the, the, the way that we're degrading our planet has a lot to do with every, you know, so many problems we're, we're facing. And so to not understand that flying is one of the biggest contributors to carbon emissions, to greenhouse gas emissions more broadly, you know, and then to, to get on a plane because you're frustrated just to fly nowhere, I mean, just... 
Why don't you just get on the plane, you know, pretend the engines are on, maybe maybe put some some white noise in the background, just sit on the runway for a while. You know, you just you don't have to go through the whole experience of getting up in the air and burning all that fuel. So, you know, it just um it's remarkable to me that some people think that's a good idea. Yeah, I know the airline industry has been, you know, hit hard by the pandemic as most of us have. You know, but but that you know okay so they make some they, they're making some money doing that great but is it really does it make any sense at all I mean it's called air travel for a reason because you go from one place to another you know this is really the Sunday this is the uh, the the air equivalent the flying equivalent of the traditional Sunday afternoon drive um, <laughs> anyway I I okay that was. That was profoundly stupid, in my opinion. I, and I guess it's going to continue. I guess people, this just started last month. I guess people are going to keep doing it. I wonder if it will catch on in the great US of A. We'll see. I hope not. Anyway, <laughs> the hopeful stuff that's happening, um, some of it may even be worthy of being called brilliant, is, um, well, you know, there's, there's stuff happening in every sphere of our lives. Uh, people are learning how to adapt. And again, I'm not talking about the pandemic. The pandemic is a problem. We're going to get over that. What we're not going to get over is the climate crisis, unless we change dramatically right now. And even if we change dramatically right now, we know we have a world of hurt coming. And so, again, regardless of what happens now, adaptation is needed. And people are beginning to find ways of adapting. Uh, here in, here in um, the heartland of the U.S., uh, we're finding ways of growing food uh, that reflect the new climate impacts. One thing I, I expect we'll be seeing next year is more corn that is not as tall <laughs> and has stronger stock strength. And probably, maybe we'll start seeing not just more beans, but also hay and oats, crops that sit lower to the ground that don't get nailed by a derecho. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see if that happens. But, you know, in terms of urban gardening, in terms of small scale production, in terms of farm to market type initiatives, you know, people are figuring out how to grow food at a time when climate is making it difficult to do things the way we've always done them. And, you know, I, I've noticed this in Des Moines. It's not just uh, the human species that is figuring out how to adapt, but um, creatures. And, it's, and some of this has more to do with um, urbanization. But again, urbanization is a big part of our climate problem. You can't continue to pave over, over more and more of the world, which involves more and more concrete and more and more carbon emissions, more and more pollution. You can't continue to pave over more and more of the world and not expect it to exacerbate our climate problem. So, yeah, we're urbanizing a lot of property, a lot of land, farmland in some cases, um, woodlands, whatnot. And we're finding that raccoons, owls, deer, hawks even, are adapting to city life. Eagles, they're figuring out how to, how to exist in this environment. I mean, deer especially. They've they're become a, a menace throughout many Iowa cities. So, um, you know, it's, it's just a matter of time before more and more species figure out how to adapt. Now, again, at the same time, we have this mass extinction occurring. And um, so, you know, and I... And I my concern is that humanity might be on that list as well, but I admire the extent to which people around the world have figured out how to adapt, um, again, to a changing climate, which will continue to change, and 
require further adaptations. You know, it's also encouraging to see the um, advances in renewable energy, uh, solar wind, um, battery technologies. Those things are becoming more and more, um, you know, more more. Well, they are cheaper than uh, than fossil fuels. If you took away the subsidies for fossil fuels. You know, there's no way you could afford to drill for oil or frack for gas or dig for coal. You know, and the other thing is, there is a growing consensus across the globe that we need action. And even though <clears throat> the Paris Accord was dismal in terms of its, um, its um, hardcore impact, in terms of it being more voluntary and not really laying hard goals on the line, you know, we're still seeing, um, I mean, still 196 countries signed. Of course, the U.S. withdrew. And what's encouraging there is there's a movement here in the U.S. called We Are Still In. The We Are Still In movement has um, tried to pick up the slack from the U.S. exit out of the Paris Climate Summit. And now there are over 3,500 uh, leaders from uh, cities, um, states, counties, businesses, universities, tribal governments uh, that have made the commitment to the Paris Agreement. You know, and as well, I mentioned businesses. Well, more and more businesses are on board as well. Obviously, the fossil fuel industry is not on board, but insurance companies, um, big companies that I may have a lot of trouble with on other levels <laughs> for various reasons, which we will have to talk about in a different context. A lot of those businesses understand that we have a problem and they want to do something about it. So that's good. My concern is, again, businesses sometimes say, we've got this, we figured it out, and then they do some greenwashing to pretend that they really understood what's going on. We have to hold them accountable to do what's really needed, not just to pretend they've got it. And you know, finally, I'd say more and more people are out on the streets. Um, more and more people are starting to vote according to how they feel about climate change, voting for candidates that understand what's going on. I know one guy here in Des Moines, he won't give, and he gives a bunch of money to politicians, but he won't give a penny to a candidate, even if, even if that candidate is like with him on most issues. If that candidate isn't a true climate advocate, then they ain't getting a penny from this guy. And I think more and more people are doing that. More, more and more people are saying, my vote matters, my dollars matter, um, my physical presence. And again, this is a tough time to be in the streets, so to speak, because of the coronavirus. But... You know, look at what happened last um, September. A year ago, well, actually, a year ago this very week, uh, six million people from around the world joined the global climate strike. That was huge. And again, right now we've seen it. It's been hard to sustain the momentum of the climate movement because of COVID and also because of other concerns and priorities rising to the top. Right now we have the concerns about um, what's going to happen with the replacement of Ruth Bader Ginsburg to the Supreme Court. So, you know, there's a lot going on. Um, but I have, people have to remember to keep in mind that there are things happening. There are good things happening. There are signs of hope. There are brilliant people doing brilliant work. And we need to lift that up and keep that going. And again, don't hop on a plane and fly somewhere that lands you right back to the same place you started. That's the worst possible thing you can do. Well, maybe not the worst, but it's up there. Hey, back in a minute, folks, with uh, Joel Miller, the Lynn County Auditor, joining us to talk about the Trump and RNC lawsuit against several Iowa counties regarding their early voting programs. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, 
local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at Emil King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. At East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open Monday through Saturday for dine-in, patio seating, curbside pickup, and carry-out. Hawk also serves fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q-table.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, folks. Um, hey, a, a quick shout out to a couple of our local business partners. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store. And you can get uh, lunch and dinner there seven days a week through their takeout service. And on weekends, you can throw in breakfast as well. They do breakfast through takeout on the weekends. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis. 30 years of experience specializing in cutting-edge, creative, environmentally friendly designs, including super insulated structures made from grain bins. Learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. All right, again, welcome back to the program. Later in the show, uh, Charles Goldman's joining us. We're going to be talking about the Ruth Bader Ginsburg replacement process, sorting out those scenarios. We'll also talk about the U.S. Constitution Charles wants to contend that it's toothless by design. We'll also be hearing from Kathy Burns as we go through our usual fall gardening Q&A session. But right now I want to welcome to the program uh, Joel Miller. Joel is uh, the Lynn County Auditor, Lynn County, Iowa. And he's one of those um, auditors who have been targeted by the uh, President Trump and the Republican National Committee with a lawsuit. Joel, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Ed. And congratulations on the lawsuit. <laughs> well, uh, okay, thank you. <laughs> well, I know that. You you wish it hadn't happened, and so do most people. And again, what's happened is, um, you know, auditors around the state made the decision to try to encourage as many people to vote by mail as possible, and then, boom, you know, the Republicans didn't like that. So they came out with a lawsuit to try to stop it. Maybe you can give us a little more background, Joel. Well, we decided, I think independently and then kind of together, three auditors, and I was certainly encouraging some other auditors to consider sending out pre-filled, pre-addressed absentee ballot request forms to the voters in Lynn County. And the reason to do that is obviously, number one, we have a pandemic, so things are not the same as they were a year ago or even uh, seven months ago. And uh, number two, to encourage uh, people to uh, vote uh, by mail uh, because of that pandemic. And number three, there was a law that changed the process for requesting absentee ballot, uh, absentee ballot request forms on July 1st. And that basically resulted in prohibiting county auditors from filling in a 
absentee ballot request form that they received from the voter, which was incomplete or had errors or otherwise, but that we could, via our data in our voter registration database, confirm that actually came from that voter. And that was actually so, based on a law, that was a law that passed the legislature, correct? It was a law that passed the legislature. Uh, it was attached to a budget bill of all places and uh, basically removed what's called the best means available for auditors to complete that absentee ballot request form. So for the June 2nd primary, we could fill in that information if somebody, um, well, say we couldn't read it, for example. Right. Or they didn't put in their date of birth, but they had everything else right, and we know who it was, who it is, and we could fill that information out. So the law change said can't do that, and uh, we know, and in fact it's happening, that uh, people uh, were going to not get what I call 100% on the absentee ballot request exam. And if you don't get 100% on it, you fail, which means we don't send out an absentee ballot to you. Right. So basically, if any information you send in the requesting a ballot is incorrect, you, you spelled your name, maybe your name doesn't match what the auditor has on file, maybe your signature doesn't match, um, again, maybe you've uh, failed to indicate your birth date. If any of that stuff is missing, you don't get a ballot, correct? Well, everything's correct about what you said except for signature. We don't do okay. – all signatures are presumed to be valid unless okay. uh, we have information to the contrary. So um, if you forget to put your signature down, for example, that's kind of a fatal flaw. Okay. And we're not going to send you anything anytime without a signature. Um, but, yes, forget the date of birth, forget your driver's license number, your PIN number – or we just can't read it. Yeah, and so and so again, and, again, again, you used to be able to, you used to be able to just um, figure it out, but then the legislature well, changed that, and your way around that was to again put in some of that information to make it less likely that they were going to that people would make a mistake. Right. Yes. Okay. That's correct. And, and, so, and also, uh, the law requires us to contact the voter, and the challenge with that is that out of the one hundred and fifty-six thousand registered voters in Lynn County only have 9,000 emails, um, several thousand of those which are not valid. I have 56,000 phone numbers. Probably half of those are uh, valid or out of date. So the default is you have to send them a letter uh, with a second request and basically say, you know, hopefully you get it right this time. But we know from practice, uh, from um, reality, that uh, people fail the second time. So we send them a third letter and so forth. And uh, probably some people won't ever get it right. Okay. And that's, uh, that's unfortunate because we were trying to avoid that. So is it safe to assume that uh, the Republican Party and the Trump administration, or the Trump campaign, I guess I should say, they, they're presuming that this initiative, the effort to get more people to vote by mail, is going to benefit Democrats, that more Democrats are going to do that than Republicans. And so... This is not really about good government. This is a partisan effort to limit, to well, basically to suppress the vote. Is that a fair characterization? Well, I'm going to let you characterize it, Ed, but let me just tell you, uh, put this in perspective. The, um, the Secretary of State has a ballot tracking, an FCD ballot tracking tool on his website where you can track your request and you can track your absentee ballot. And... All I need to track my request and my ballot is my first name, my last name, and my date of birth. So why do we have to send to the voters 
a request form that's asking for any more information than that. Uh, obviously, we need, the, we need the address and their mailing address and their signature and date, but why do we need the rest of the address when it's good enough to look up on the Secretary of State's website to see what the status is? And we, that evidently makes you a unique enough person that there are no duplicates out well, there. Well, great, great question. How does Secretary Paul Pate answer that? Well, yeah, I, he hasn't answered that, and hmm. I don't think he's going to be inclined to answer that. But that just shows you the, um, the efforts that have been made to make the form complicated. And unlike going to the polls, you get a second chance. We never turn anyone away that comes to the polls to vote on Election Day or even early voting. Um, we're going to have them, uh, well, on Election Day, we're going to have them do a provisional ballot if they forgot anything. And then they have about a week to cure that provisional ballot. Uh, so, so if you go to the polls on Election Day, you get a second chance. Right. Um, if you mess up the absentee ballot request form, there's no second chances. We send it out to you again and again and again. And if you finally don't get it right, then you have two choices. Don't vote or go to the polls, right. either early vote at right. a satellite or, or go to the polls on Election Day. So with the, um, the, the Trump, the, the Trump uh, campaign's lawsuit prevailed, a judge ruled in their favor. Uh, how do you respond? What's the response that you have available in that case? Well, the judge did. Uh, two different judges basically came up with the same, the same order uh, from the hearings, and that was to tell us that we needed to send out an additional response to the people who had replied with a absentee ballot request form. And we have done that, at least uh, I've done that in Lynn County. I'm not sure Woodbury and Johnson have completed their process yet, but if they haven't, they will be in order to comply with the judge's order. Uh, both uh, Woodbury and Lynn, uh, my county appealed and the Supreme Court denied our appeals. Didn't even have a hearing, just said denied without any comment. And I believe uh, the last I knew, Johnson County is not appealing based upon what happened to Woodbury and Lane County. So what impact do you think so, this is going to have? Is this go gonna, are we going to see a, a significant drop-off in the number of people who might have voted otherwise? Well, I, I think we are going to see a drop-off. I don't know that I can attribute it to the court cases, uh, but what is also happening is that Iowans and maybe people in other states uh, are getting flooded with absentee ballot request forms from a variety of sources. I got, I started collecting them. I have them sitting on my table in my <laughs> office right now. The, well, the number of uh, requests. How and, many? And How many? <laughs> about a month ago. Go ahead. How many you got? Oh, I, I think I've got a half a dozen. I think I think we've right got now. you. I think we've got you beaten to one. I think I've received closer to eight or ten. But anyway, it's uh, it's over the top. Yeah. <laughs> well, and 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 these ones that are coming now appear to be addressed to the addressed to the uh, you know of course you know the people that actually live in the house, whereas there is a mailer put out, and I will. The fact is, it was put out by the GOP about a month ago, and it went to all kinds of people, including dead people, and. There's no reason to do that in this day and age when you uh, get a reduced discount on mailing things to people 
if you get their name matched to their address. And you can do that through the software. And that's what we did in our mailings is if it didn't, we didn't have a 100% match on name versus address. We didn't mail it out. What? So why these went out to dead people, uh, in one case, um, the voter contacted me. His father had been dead for 20 years. He got a mail. There was no excuse for that. <laughs> wow, okay. And I, and I think that was done purposely. So interesting. To to the what, what was the motive? Just to confuse people? Well, I, I, I think uh, that uh, fits in with some rhetoric uh, that, that is out there that you don't trust vote by mail. And I'll let you draw mm, your own conclusion as to where that's coming from. But I think it was purposeful that that occurred. That wasn't an accident. I believe that was purposeful. And combined with the additional request, uh, what I've seen is that um, people are now, and, and combined with the um, issues on the uh, postal system, um, I, I believe that in a concerted attempt to undermine vote by mail. Yeah, and I know. I one more question for you. And I know you know this is this this particular situation is unique to three counties in Iowa, but there are similar uh, situations around the country, and all all sorts of different ways in which the vote is or may be suppressed. But um, you know, so I mean, people just need to be paying attention. For myself, Joel, to be honest with you, I'm not going to vote by mail. I'm going to go down to the auditor's office, and or well, one or the other, that or I might just go to the polls. Uh, put my mask on. You know, get try to get the early walk in and vote, but um, when it comes to the mail-in ballots, uh, how confident are you that your office in Lynn County is going to be able to count all of those in a reasonable time period? Well, I would tell you, before I was expecting about eighty to one hundred thousand vote uh, absentee ballots before the court case. Uh, as of last week, we had about thirty-three thousand in queue. As you may know, we had to basically invalidate um, about 45,000. The press said 50, but it's actually 45,000 pre-filled and another 5,000 or so uh, valid ones. We basically had to restart the election in Lynn wow. County, yeah. re-enter the, the 6,000 good ones, and now we're building back up with new ones, so we're back up to about 33,000. The interesting fact I learned this morning is that we did a compare between those that have responded to our mailing where we sent out a second um, um, blank absentee ballot request form for the judge, and there's 18,000 people who have not responded. That's mm. the travesty. Yeah. 18,000 people in one intended county. Yeah. to vote by mail, and they're not responding to anyone's absentee ballot request form at this time. Are they going to vote? Or are they going to stay at home? Yeah. Well, that's a great question, Joel. And um, I hope uh, I hope they vote because uh, there's uh, voting is always important. It's never been as important as it is in these days. So, again, thank you for your job. Uh, you've got a hard uh, hard challenge in front of you there, uh, folks. We've been talking with Joel Miller, Lynn County Auditor. Joel, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Ed. Appreciate the invitation. When we come back, folks, uh, Charles Goldman's going to join us, and uh, we're going to be talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the U.S. Constitution. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. 
Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Haas Findlay. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. Noche on Walnut Street, south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, uh, thanks to our local nonprofit partners in this program. Thanks to Bold Iowa, fighting climate change and the Dakota Access Pipeline since 2015. Uh, that's boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, where you can learn how to turn your yard into dinner. Check out birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. All right, uh, join me in welcoming Charles Goldman to the program, folks. Hello, Charles. How are you? Uh, uh, pretty good, I guess, all things considered. Ed. Pretty good, all things considered, yes. And one of those uh, things that are impacting a lot of people's um, uh, stability of mind right now is the untimely demise of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the uh, phenomenal turnaround that we're seeing among the leadership of the U.S. Senate and the president. Uh, a very different scenario than when uh, Merrick uh, Garland was up for consideration under the Obama presidency. Uh, Charles, this has a lot of people scratching their heads, um, um, really upset, not sure what to do, not sure how it's going to turn out. H how do you think this is going to go? Are Republicans going to be able to muster the 51 votes they need in the Senate to confirm whoever Trump may send their way? Well, I think that, of course, this is not about anything but politics, um, because the thing that that came up immediately was, well, what is this going to mean, you know, for abortion rights? And the fact of the matter is, interestingly, I'm reading uh, a book called The Lie That Binds, which points out that abortion never started out as a moral issue in the United States. People were manipulated who had certain moral uh, beliefs about abortion uh, into believing that the Republicans were with them. But the Republicans really simply, you know, did focus group testing and found that the abortion issue just happened to resonate with the type of voter they were looking for. And so, you know, the, their commitment to it was, was totally uh, amoral. Um, and when was and that, we're seeing when it was all over done? again. I mean, when, abortion, abortion rights has paralyzed this country for 50 years. So when was that, when was that focus group, uh, those focus groups conducted? Well, about 10 years after Roe v. Wade. Most people don't, oh, don't realize okay. that after Roe v. Wade, there wasn't, like, people running out in the streets and rioting over Roe v. Wade. It took almost 10 to 15 years before it became um, part of the sudden strategy of the Republican Party to, uh, to uh, court the burgeoning Christian evangelical movement. And so, you know, there's more going on here than just abortion rights. In fact, uh, most people are forgetting that this court, constituted even with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, left the... Uh, Affordable Care Act decision to be decided 
the week after the uh, election. Uh, at least the, nominally the election is over. As you and I both know, the election is going to go on for probably six weeks. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. yeah. Between the, the, the number of mail-in ballots being counted, you know, in a delayed fashion and the various uh, lawsuits that have come out of it. And then, of course, the issue is um, we know that why President Trump wants the ninth justice. Because even if Roberts, you know, bails on his conservative colleagues, that would make it 5-4 to once again install the president, as was done in, uh, you know, 2000. Uh, with, uh, with, with, the, Joe, with Bush, Bush versus Gore, yeah. Right. But let me ask you this. So, uh, do, you, do you think, yeah. do you think the, we've already had Murkowski from Alaska and Collins from Maine. Uh, right. And it's not, there's a little bit of wiggle room for Murkowski, but it looks like they would probably not vote to confirm an appointment under the under the current administration, they they want to wait till after the election. Um, yeah, I'm not well, Jane, sure. What, not sure wrote, what, yeah, Jane Mayer wrote a great article, as she often <clears> does, <throat> saying that this is just simply about what is Mitch McConnell's apprehension of what will keep his control of the Senate. If he apprehends that not voting on the um, Supreme Court justice nominee before the election would make it more likely for weak senators like Tillis, Sal, you know, McSally, um, the woman down in Georgia, uh, Cory Gardner out in Colorado. It, it, it's, it's simply about can he save three Senate seats, and he doesn't really so care. I, 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 don't agree, I don't agree with you. I, th- I think, I think um, McConnell, for all of his selfish motives to maintain control in the Senate— he does have a bigger view here, and it's not a good one. It's a, a bigger view of, of creating a Supreme Court that is so far to the right of anything we've ever seen in this country and with enough membership that is young enough where you're going to see radically right rulings for, for, for many, many years to come. I, I think, I think, yeah, Mitch, can, I, I think McConnell can, isn't just can, about he himself. Can assure that, he can assure that without having to jeopardize these elections. Because, first of all, they can try to do it in a lame duck session, no matter how reprehensible that would be. Um, should, you, know, you mean, you mean after, the, after the election? Yeah. Correct. Right. The, you know, the, the other thing at play here is, and, of course, the Democrats, you know, what, what are the Democrats going to do? Now, they can't really stop whatever McConnell wants to do. The only thing that they can do, and, and probably uh, Biden needs to do, is make clear what the consequences are going to be if the Democrats take control. And Democrats take, take control, they need to, to blade, flat out say, we're going to expand the court, because of course I have to teach 95% of Americans that the number of Supreme Court justices is not set in the Constitution, it's set by statute. And it can be expanded. Right, but the lifetime uh, appointment is set in the Constitution. Well, well, but that, you know, th- there's actually a fair amount of bipartisan interest in getting rid of the lifetime appointment. Good. <laughs> you know, and which I agree with, absolutely. I mean, it's it's ludicrous that um, you know we have justices sitting there for forty and fifty years who are non-representative of the changing times. Um, we've said before, the court is not representative of the American people. Um, it's overly white. It's overly Catholic. It's overly Jewish in some, and, and also, you know, and. Um, in particular, the fact that it's overly Catholic carries with it certain social, um, you know, commitments that 
do tend to color how the court decides things. Um, so uh, my belief is that they'll that they will not do the vote before the election. Um, that they will, however, allow you know, well, he's going to do it anyway. Trump to name who he wants, and they'll start the process of going through you know the visits to all of the senators, et cetera. And at that point, the Democrats should absolutely refuse to meet with whomever it is. Um, you know, if Trump were cagey, he would box the, the Democrats in by nominating a, a black female justice, but he's not going to do that. Right. Uh, he won't go any further than potentially this woman down in, yeah. in so, Miami. Again, I'm, I'm, still, I, I'm still hanging on to the possibility that enough Republicans, enough Republican senators who have some conscience will decide that this is a bad idea. And Senator Grassley of Iowa is, I think, a great example. I mean, Grassley, in the past at least, in, in more recent times, not so much, but in the past, Grassley has had significant votes of conscience. There, I mean, he was one of the two senators, along with Mark Hatfield, back in, what was it, 1990, 91, to vote against going to war in Kuwait. He, was, he, he voted against the first Persian Gulf War. And... Um, he got a lot of flack for that from within his party, but he stood by that. And so, you know, here's Grassley saying not that long ago that he's going to be consistent with what he said in 2016. And we thought what he said in 2016 didn't make any sense, but right. But now he agrees. He's, he's trying to be consistent. And, and, you know, one thing I'll say for Grassley, at least he has a history of, you know, being somewhat independent and somewhat consistent. And I think he's in a tight position right now where he might— actually go along with Murkowski and Collins and and not want to vote for uh, that nominee. And, you know, I could see I could easily see Mitt Romney not voting for that well, nominee. That nominee. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a possibility. I mean, I think of all the people who McConnell will allow to do that, Susan Collins is going to be number one, because if Collins goes along with this, then there's no chance she's winning that seat back. Um, Cory Gardner is probably going to lose anyway. In Colorado, uh, Tillis may well lose anyway. And so uh, you know that's already three, and all the the Democrats have to do is either get a fourth and defend what they have. Although that's going to be a problem because they're going to have the election in in Alabama. Yeah, they're going to lose that. So they one. have to right. Right. Well, they, well, they'll probably lose that, but they they're probably going to win Arizona. Well, and now in Iowa, you see Teresa Greenfield in the poll this week. She's up by three points over Ernst. Um, Right. And that's not that's yeah, pretty so, consistent with yeah, what it was yeah, back in June. And, and, and you know, Joni Ernst is is has to you know my mind. I mean, she she personifies the present day Republican. You know, I mean, she was all crocodile tears when when you know when we found out that uh, you know Ruth Bader Ginsburg's cancer had recurred. You know, and and said she was praying for her, but you know, my feeling was she was praying for her to exit before the election. Um, <laughs> You know, and she she came right out and said, "No, of course we're going to go ahead with this." Um, it, it's just it's it's just pure power politics at this yeah. point, and that's why I think it's going to come down to McConnell's figuring out: Can I hold the Senate? Who do I need to protect to allow them to vote against something, or do I just kind of let the president pick whom he wants? Who I assume everyone seems to assume it's going to be um, the woman from, who, who's the professor at Notre Dame. What is her name? Yeah, I'm blanking on it too, but I know who you mean. Uh, Amy, uh, like yeah. yeah, it's uh, Barrett, uh, Amy Coney Barrett. Yeah, you know, uh, I assume that's going to be who he chooses, um, yeah. unless he really thinks that picking the the justice who's on the court of appeals down in Florida 
uh, who was uh, one of them who went along with this idea of keeping the poll tax in place yeah. on the on the felons. Well, um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll it's, it's, a, it's a Trump's advantage to at least have the nominee out there. I think it's it's to McConnell's advantage to let that just be all he's going to do. Yeah. Have a vote to do on something, which will not make whoever it is the nominee, you know, uh, justice, and then come back in what may be a lame duck session and finish off business. I, I think we have to deal with the fact that there's going to be a a fifth stalwart conservative on the court. With well, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I would encourage people to weigh in on this. I think it's uh, I think it's too important not to weigh in and to express your opinion about it. So well, um, I agree. We have, I think. I, I think if the Democrats and Biden don't, they, you know, Clinton didn't make this a big enough issue in 2016, and look where we are. Yeah. And you know, um, the Democrats had record, uh, you know, they they had record campaign contributions over a 48-hour period after right. the death of RBG. and so clearly the, the Democratic base understands the importance of this. Charles, we've got, and, to, we've, got to, we've got to run to a, bit, a, a break here. Um, give me a second. We'll be back in about a couple of minutes, folks. Um, we're going to talk more with Charles Goldman. We're going to talk about the U.S. Constitution and address the question of whether it is toothless by design. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got an elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Kim Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night and I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. He sleeps all night and he works all day. I cut down trees, I eat my lunch, I go to the lavatory. On Wednesdays I go shopping and have buttered scones for tea. He cuts down trees, eats his lunch. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum again. Thanks to our local business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store. And you can get lunch and dinner seven days a week through their takeout program. Also on the weekends, breakfast. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Noche Jazz and Cabaret, Des Moines' premier location for jazz and cabaret. And they are now open for business, socially distanced, of course, on site at their Walnut Street location. And you can still, of course, continue to hear the uh, concerts on their live stream. That's Noche Jazz and Cabaret. All right, welcome Charles Goldman back to the program here, folks. Um, before we talk about the USS Const- the U.S. Constitution, I, I got to tell you this. Um, yeah, I never thought I'd see the day, Charles, when Monty Python would somehow play into an Iowa election. But here comes uh, Eric Idle with Monty Python threatening to sue the Republican National Committee and Cindy and um, David Young's campaign 
for running this ad against Iowa Congresswoman Cindy Axney. She's a liberal named Andrea Axney. She wants to take our tax money. She'll take our cash to fund herself, then vote with Pelosi. Sad but true. In Washington, Cindy Axney has voted with Nancy Pelosi 95% of the time. She voted to give herself up to $5 million in public funds, and her big government plans could cost over a trillion dollars. Iowa can't afford angry Cindy Axney. NRCC is responsible for the content of this advertising. <laughs> so which which Monty Python movie was that in? <laughs> Lumberjack? No, it was it was never in a movie. It was uh, just one of their um, one of their skits that that popped up. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, on well, the, yeah, uh, that just proves there is foreign interference in the American. <laughs> <laughs> a new type of foreign. Take that, Vladimir <laughs> Putin. We've got you beat. Right. Britain is Britain is messing with the U.S. election through uh, through Monty Python. But you know. I mean, maybe people know the Lumberjack song. It's basically about a transvestite lumberjack. Um, yeah. So it's kind of weird that they would choose that as a song. I mean, I, maybe because Cindy's last name is Axney and well, the sure connection to I mean, the Lumberjack's axe. There's, there's a long history of, of, them, of people picking songs that are actually completely the opposite of the meaning of the song. Like, you know, the Republicans love Born in the USA, which was actually a song about the, the desperateness of the working class in the United States, right. Springsteen, you know, and all uh, similar. Well, they, and, you know, and, they, and, they played Fortunate Son at a, a Trump rally. <laughs> well, okay. yeah, Kathy and I were at a Trump rally where they were playing a macho man. Of course, um, the village people. Well, but no, that, see, now that's that's very savvy because part of his appeal to a portion of the Hispanic male population is that they do see him as a macho man, even though right, he's but obviously s- sung by five cowardly sung, person. You could sung find. by sung by five gay guys. Um, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Exactly. So, but uh, you know, this 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 ad it's so it's so juvenile. I mean, if you look at the graphics that go along with it, it, it is yeah. it is so childish. It is, and, and and I you know I can't imagine that there has to be very very few people who see that ad and think, oh yeah, Cindy Axney, she's angry and she's paid herself five million dollars. I'm not going to vote for her. It's really hard to what imagine they, anybody seeing it. What are they referring to there? Who I can't knows? Figure it out what... Who knows? It doesn't matter. They're they're just throwing it out there. It can be anything at all. Who knows? Yeah. I have well, no idea what they're referring to. And they keep to. saying that they're going to if they, if we have a public option, they're going to cut fifty Iowa hospitals. And what people don't realize is the only reason that fifty Iowa hospitals in the rural areas stay open is because of excess payments under Medicare as you know critical access hospitals. And there's nothing that I am aware of that would change that compensation system by adding a public option as an alternative to private insurance. You know, so, but none of these ads are about thoughtfulness. No. They're just, they, they just basically say the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. You know, and I don't find them very persuasive, but, you know, before the show you were telling me that your own personal experience with them in your campaigns was that TV and now, internet ads are highly persuasive. Oh, they work. I'm, I'm, I, I'm I, I, hate, I hate to say it, but they work. They are effective. Um, sad state of affairs. Speaking of, uh, I, I, okay, so let, let me switch gears here, Charles. We want to talk about the U.S. Sure. Constitution because you've um, you proposed, I think, a rather provocative um, observation that the U.S. Constitution is basically toothless, but not because of any interpretation, but by design. That the well, so, I, I I think not so much. By design, but I think that it, it yes, it, it's sort of an ironic statement to make about the U.S. Constitution because, of course, you know the greatest carnage we ever had on, you know, on our mainland 
was the Civil War, which was fought for the integrity of the Constitution. I would and say that, that I, actually, I would say that's the second biggest carnage we've had on our land after the well, no, no, the first the, biggest the, carnage obviously is 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 the genocide of the yes, Native Americans. Thank I understand you. that, but they were not participants in that Constitution. Um, right. But you know the Civil War, uh, you know, and this is where the other Dr. Goldman is 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 very interested. Um, the northern the northern soldiers, many of them did not have sophisticated views in terms of equality, but they certainly believed the Union should stay together. Right. And what we're seeing now in our sort of proto-Civil War that's going on is that the Constitution only works by consent, and that is the consent of all players to it, at least in some way play by the rules of the Constitution. Right. And what you know, President Trump, his only service to the country, in my opinion, has been to show is the toothlessness of the Constitution, which is that there is very little that allows enforcement to occur, particularly when you're enforcing it against the enforcement branch of the government, which is the executive branch. And you, you claim, and, you, you believe that the Founding Fathers meant it to be really not toothless, but flexible, accommodating of a lot of different possibilities and circumstances, correct? Well, I do, and I think the Constitution was clearly written as in fear of two things. They feared a democratic mob, and they feared a, a situation of royalty. And so they were trying, in spite of what Bill Barr's interpretation is, they were not trying to make a president the equivalent of a king. And at the same time, they set up mechanisms like the Electoral College and, and indirect election of senators to avoid the rule of the mob. And that worked as long as, as I said, that everyone involved was, for the most part, willing to play by those rules. We, we've had, of course, paroxysms of, of fascism and, and you know, witch hunting and all, all these other things that have happened since the uh, ratification of the Constitution, but they've not been the continuous flow of American politics. But what Trump did was basically, in the space of three to four years, show every, every way by which you could circumvent the Constitution, both in a structural way, but also by just installing um, key people at, at, at you know critical junctures to allow all this to go on. And then he did understand that in the era of the professional politician, that there's few people of conscience left. And so, so they have gone along with him. The very same people who said how much they despised him and thought he was a racist, they, this is before everybody else thought he was a racist, right? <laughs> didn't Lindsey Graham call him a racist during the campaign? Uh, yeah, and uh, a bunch of the other uh, contenders, um, Rubio and right. um, yeah, even so, Ted Cruz, didn't have much good to say about Donald Trump back then. Even even some of the talk show hosts like Rush Limbaugh weren't that favorably disposed yeah, to Yeah, Fox was Trump. not all in on him. No. That's correct. Fox was not all in on him until he won. So let me, let me ask you, you this, know? though. So so right now we've got a, we've got a constitution that, thanks to Donald Trump, has been proven to be basically toothless. Um, so 250 years, roughly, almost 250 years later, that after this document was written, what do we do to fix it? Well, I mean, what we do to fix it is, is number one, um, and here again, this is what Barr said at the Hills, uh, not at Hillsdale, but at this, this convocation for Constitution Day that was put on in Virginia, even though it's for Hillsdale College in Michigan, which is a, a real conservative fountainhead. Um, you know, he said that um, you can't make every everything, you can't criminalize politics. Now, of course, he's being completely hypocritical because that's exactly what he's doing. But um, 
But he's correct. I mean, we can't spend all our time talking about we're going to try, you know, W4 crimes and this or that. Um, the point of government is is to govern. It's 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 not just simply about the power, of, you know, uh, in politics. And so, while I'd be perfectly happy personally, in my opinion, to see them march the entire Trump crime family to jail, that should not be the goal of the next administration. The goal of the next administration, which will hopefully be a democratic administration, is to address the problems of this country that are tearing it apart, number one, and it will destroy it in the ultimate, number two, for instance, climate change. Um, And to get away from industries that should be long dead, oil and gas, and move into the future. And that's not going to be served by having another civil war and taking prisoners, because eventually you're not in charge anymore, and they do the same to you. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think we have to abandon this idea that we're going to throw everybody in jail as much as they may deserve it, um, and get back to governing, and get back to um, understanding that you're not going to get your way 100% of the time, and there has to be some give, but you can't abandon your core principles. But that's what this system is based on. Maybe the first you step know, would be to, uh, to, to, to eliminate the Electoral College. <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, that's not, that's not the only problem, but that certainly, to me, seems like the biggest problem right now in terms of blocking um, true representation of the public will. As it comes to yeah. impacting policy, I mean, I, I I don't know if it's the first thing I would do. I think the the first thing I would do would be to decriminalize um, multiple things that we now criminalize, in particular drug possession, because the first thing we have to stop doing is jailing entire parts of the population for no point. Yeah, and and felonizing our population, and that would be the first thing I would do. All right, Charles uh... is. is you know, you don't need to defund the police. You need to have the police do what police should be doing instead of chasing around uh, people for minor drug possession. Yeah. Charles, thanks for joining us today. Well, it's good. It's good being with you. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, we've been talking with uh, Charles Goldman, folks. Um, when we come back, uh, Kathy Burns of Birds and Bees Urban Farm is going to join us. We're going to be answering some of your questions about fall gardening. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, no-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. They've been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super-insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins. Yep, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much is possible. View images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual.
Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Thanks to our local business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store, and you can get lunch and dinner seven days a week through their takeout service. You can also get breakfast at Gateway Market on the weekends. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. That's Story County Veterinary Clinic. All right, thanks for tuning in today, folks. This is Ed Fallon, your host on the Fallon Forum. I want to welcome Kathy Burns to the program. She's the founder of Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And every so often, we like to do a basic Q&A, and it's fall gardening time. So, take it away, Kathy. What questions have you been fielding about fall gardening? Well, basically, well, it is it is now officially fall, so happy fall. That's right, as of this week. I think so. And uh, really, there are a lot of questions that center around one main question that I'm seeing again and again. And if you're on these um, gardening uh, sites, you may be seeing it too. Is it too late to plant a fall garden? The answer is... Sorry. <laughs> it, is, it is too late. But that doesn't mean that you just clean everything up and you put it away because there's a lot to do now. There's a lot more to get ready. Um, the, the first thing I think of, and we just demonstrated this with the Birds and Bees Urban Farm Workshop last week, building a cold frame. If you are not using a cold frame, you are missing out on greens very early next spring. Yeah, you plant the cold frame in mid-October with lettuce, spinach, arugula, maybe radishes. And we had, a, we had a salad in January, in February, and then starting March 3rd, a salad every single day from the cold frame up through early June, at which point the other, you know, the other salad ingredients, ingredients we planted in, in what, March or April, they were ready. Oh, so. And there is nothing that gets rid of those late winter blues, if you're prone to that, or just feeling a little like you want some spring or some sunshine, than eating a beautiful green salad lifting that glass pane off and seeing it yeah. in there all, all gorgeous. I would just say, too, to people who do really want to plant a fall garden, think now about starting that in August, first week of August mm -hmm. of 2021. you got to really right. be on top of it because it's the middle of the summer, it's hot, you aren't thinking fall garden. Right. But again, for now, put your energy, energy into a cold frame. I like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, the next thing to do, if you are garlic lovers like we are, and it's okay for us to breathe on each other because we both eat it. Um, you get Start thinking about planting your garlic, but you can't order the garlic right now. I checked from either Seed Savers, Baker Creek, or Burgess. They're sold out. Wait a minute. All three of those are sold They're out? They're all sold out. Wow. And, um, Everybody's eating garlic. Right. But Des Moines <laughs> Feed and Nature Center does have garlic sets and maybe some other local places wherever you live. This is in Des Moines, but maybe some local places where you live yeah. have some garlic sets. And even if you can only plant one head or two heads, I mean, think about it. it mm -hmm. You know, you, you, that'll just keep on giving. You'll just have more garlic every year uh, if you just make sure you save enough to plant. Because mm -hmm. uh, it's it's one of the easiest crops to grow because nobody else likes it. So uh, well, I mean, there are a few bugs that, that will, and a few blights that might impact garlic, but I've never had a problem. And, and we have gorgeous garlic. Yeah. People look at our garlic and they say, oh my gosh, they always think it's the most beautiful thing. Or and sometimes they think it's corn, it's so tall. Anyway, but uh, but yeah, you know, and it's easy, you know, you, you, but you, you got to plant it, what, late October, early November, I'd say? Depending on, you got you got to beat that that snow and mm -hmm. you, you really want to get in as late as possible so it doesn't start to sprout uh, before the cold hits. Right. And we always cover ours with about six inches, maybe more of straw. Mm -hmm. And then we cover that with um, chicken wire because we have 
a squirrel infestation in Sherman Hill. Maybe we should change the name to Squirrel Hill. Um, and, and then that, that keeps the squirrel. They'll, they'll, they'll dig it up like crazy if it's just a straw. Right. And we put bricks on top of the And we put bricks on the chicken wire to keep the squirrels from digging it. And then, of course, it gets snow on it, and it stays nice and cozy all winter long. Um, you know, the other thing I'd say about fall planting, uh, fun story. My daughter showed up to visit in November years ago, and she said, I want to plant. I want to plant. I said, it's too late to plant. It's November. She said, I want to plant something. She's a persistent thing. Okay, so I said, okay, well, here's a package of parsnips. Go plant some parsnips, you silly person. And so she, <laughs> she planted parsnips, and some of them sprouted, uh, and they made it through the winter. And then in the spring, I, I ended up covering them with straw, too. And in the winter, in the spring, rather, they, they came back, and, and great growth. They just grew really strong, and they went all the way through the summer and into the fall, and I said, you know, I'll just let them go another winter, see what, see, see what happens. And I dug them in March of the following year, so they'd been through two winters, and I had one that was literally 18 inches long and six inches wide at the top, and it was that's, great. That's we a got lot like, of parsnip. A lot of parsnip, and you can't eat the core. The core was too tough, but otherwise it was great. It was so many meals out of one parsnip. So, yeah, I guess you can plant in the fall. If you want to take a shot with parsnips, I'll send you to my, my daughter for advice anyway. <laughs> well, another important thing to do right now is uh, to clean up any beds that might have mold, mildew, blight. Be sure to clip off or get rid of, throw away, don't put in your compost, any of the foliage that has issues like that because you want to clean that off and plan for next year to rotate any vegetables that you grew there to a different bed. For instance, tomatoes, if they had um, the... the, the Blight. The blight. I Late said blight, the, early the blight. blight. Some, um, so many different blights. Yeah, especially. Mm -hmm. Don't don't use that same bed for tomatoes, etc. And yeah. um, amend your soil. Yeah, compost. It's not too late to put in a batch of compost. We've probably got 16 of those bins full of compost. So, yeah, uh, you can probably get one one of those in before the end of the uh, end of the season. Yeah, go for it. Compost. Anyway, Kathy, thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, happy, happy fall gardening, folks. It's not over yet. Uh, and it won't be over until you stop eating. Uh, hopefully you've got plenty in your freezer, in your basement, and other places where you can count on it for the winter. Thanks to Kathy, too, for helping with the production of this program. Thanks to Sherry Herdina. Thanks to the stations in Iowa and around the country that rebroadcast this program. And thanks to you, our audience. You can always check us out as a podcast on the Fallon Forum website and on our Facebook page, Fallon Forum. Thanks, folks. <laughs>